Today's scripture reading is from Luke 10, 1 through 16. Please follow along on the screen or in your Bible as I read from God's word. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever you Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you, and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. We are indeed going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. We've got 16 verses to cover, and if you've been walking with me through Philippians, you know that that's going to be a real challenge for me uh, to do. But I'm going to try to get through as much of this as possible. If we can get through the whole passage this morning, fantastic. If we can't, we will continue next week where we left off. But we are, we're putting a pause on Philippians just for this Sunday. I, I felt the Lord was just leading me back to this passage, a passage that I've taught on before in the past, because in Philippians 2, verse 16, in a, in a passage we just looked at that was encouraging joyful obedience in the Lord, one of the things that Paul was emphasizing was that we would hold fast the word of life. And if you recall, the word of life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you recall, to hold fast the word of life is not just to hold it tight, but is actually to hold it forth. It is to treasure the gospel so much that we don't keep it to ourselves, that we share it with those around us. And so I do want, I want to take time this morning specifically to do one of the things that the Bible, that God commands me to do as a pastor, which is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, specifically the ministry of evangelism. That you don't have to have the gift of evangelism to evangelize. You're actually all called to evangelize. And even without the gift, God shows his power and weakness. I've seen that, listen to me, time and time again. I've gone out with literally my own brother, flesh and blood brother, who's also a brother in Christ, and he was just in a spiritual funk. He was in a depression, and I just said, hey, let's go out and witness about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And he was like, whoa, 
care for my soul right now. I don't, I don't, I don't need to be go talking to other people about their soul. My soul's in turmoil. I said, I know this is part of, you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling to experience greater joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's like, all right. And we went out. And we talked to people. And I talked to people. A lot of people didn't listen. They rejected the message. But then the, the one time I said, hey, Jeff, why don't you share the hope that you have? He shares with this young woman, and you see like a lightning bolt from heaven strike her with conviction. And she's grieved by her sin, and then she hears about what Christ did to pay for her sin on the cross, and she's comforted by the Holy Spirit. And she puts her faith in Christ. And we were both a little shocked, to be honest. It was like cold calling somebody, you know? We're just going out and just evangelizing. We just got to do it. Obedience sometimes, you know, we want to obey because we, we want to want to obey. and We want to walk out obedience because we want to, right? We want to desire. But sometimes we just don't. And sometimes in fear and trembling, we have to go with another brother or sister in Christ. We just got to go do it. This past week, I had the opportunity to just go do it. I, I, just go out and evangelize with four brothers here at Christ Redeemer Church. A couple of them didn't know that was part of the agenda that afternoon. The other couple did. But I got to go out with Rich Steele, Andrew Cummings, Andrew Babb, Jackson Davis. Jackson Davis took a day off school. He didn't know that you know, we were going to get lunch that day, and he definitely didn't know that we were going to go evangelize at Kroger. And yet we did. And we're walking up to the Starbucks in Kroger and I'm buying my drink and I'm literally telling Jackson, listen Jackson, it's, you're probably not going to see people repenting in sackcloth and ashes. You're pro there's probably going to experience some rejection, okay? And I'm trying to comfort this young lad that, look, this is probably going to be a little uncomfortable for you. First person we talk to, it's like a lightning bolt struck down from heaven. And you can see it on her face, couldn't you? That she, she was broken by her sin and then she was going, no way did Jesus do that for me. She literally asked us, what must I do? How do I respond to such kindness? And we got to share, repent of your sin and trust in Christ. Put your faith in him alone and you'll be saved. There's no magical prayer. We can't hold your hand and do it. This is, there's one mediator between God and man. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to him. He's merciful. We talked to a zealous Mormon. We talked to a professing Christian who worked in a philanthropic ministry. And she was trusting in her works. Plus Jesus. That doesn't save. We talked to a apathetic Catholic who was going through the motions in religiosity, but he had not taken refuge in Christ alone. And had he, had he been hit by a car as he crossed the crosswalk to talk to us, he would have died and gone to hell, not purgatory. Purgatory doesn't exist. It's not in the Bible. Because he was trusting in his righteousness, not in Christ alone. I mean, we talked to a lot of different people. Are you hearing this? And they were willing to talk to us. Every one of these people were willing to talk to us. We talked to a non-practicing Muslim who was genuinely seeking the truth. He had been talking late at night with his girlfriend about who is God? How are we saved? 
I talked to a young man who had claimed to have deconstructed his faith and we, through further questioning, realized that he had no faith to begin with. We talked to a lot of different people. And God was moving in every conversation and many didn't respond in faith and obedience to Christ. And some, there's still a question mark. Maybe the Lord's drawing them. I don't know. But it's not up for us to know, is it? It's just up for us to go. This passage, it's Jesus training his disciples to go out and share the gospel. It's literally what it is. It's a short-term mission trip that Jesus sent 72 believers on. It's good for us. Because I could get up here and talk about all the tips and tricks and of evangelism all day, and that's going to have no power. But if we go to God's word and we just see, what did he do? And while everything here is not prescriptive, there are some things here that are applicable to how we should go out today with fear and trembling and with joyful obedience to reach the lost people who are perishing around us because they're, they're not in Christ. They're not. He begins this passage with two words. He says, after this. So you got to ask, in verse 1, are you looking at that? After what? Well, it's after what just happened, right? So we got to go back to the passage right before that. Context matters. So after what, Jesus? Well, in the passage right before, he had been encouraging people to count the cost of following him. He is actually in that same passage encouraging people to follow him. But he's also saying, hey, follow me, but make sure you count the cost of following me because there is a cost of following me. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It might cost you your life. So count the cost first. And then once you've counted the cost and you think I'm worth it, then follow me. That, that is hardly ever taught in equipping people to do evangelism. It's always, oh, did you get a yes? You got a yes? Success. We've got to encourage people to count the cost of following Christ. He did. Look at verse 59 of Luke 9. It says to another, he said, follow me. There it is, the invitation, follow me. But that man said to Jesus, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So what I want you to see here, Jesus literally says, follow me. The guy goes, not yet. Jesus says, follow me again. But how does he say follow me again? He says, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here to this man is to follow me, part of following me is inviting others to follow me. Part of following me is going and proclaiming the kingdom of God. He, he's not talking to a preacher. He is talking to a normal human being who has not been called to preach or pastor. He's saying, follow me. And that man says, hang on, I want to get this inheritance first. I'd like to bury my father. I love him. And he's saying, let the dead, the spiritually dead, bury that man. This is your moment. This is the hour. God is in the flesh and he's standing before you and he's saying, respond, come to me. And we don't know if this man had another opportunity because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
And I wonder sometimes in, in large gatherings when people come together and some, the man's preaching the gospel and he's saying, if you hear the Lord speak to your heart today, not to your neighbors in the chair next to you, but to you, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion, but listen to him because that voice might not come around again. So if that's you this morning, if you're here and you've been doing church and you've been coming around, and you're, and, but you still, that you're, you're sitting on the fence and you're straddling the fence and it's uncomfortable and you want to be a Christian, but you don't quite want to lean into the full obedience. I am telling you right now, swing your leg over the fence. Trust in him entirely. Say, I will count the cost and you're worth it because you paid it all for me. That, that's my plea for you. I'm pleading if that's you this morning. Part of accepting the invitation to follow Jesus is inviting others to follow Jesus. And that is a daunting task. And that is literally why Ephesians 4 says that he gifts the church with men who are equipped to equip the church for the work of ministry. And so I'm standing up here not to condemn you, not to come down on your heart. I'm literally going, I want to open up the word and I want to equip you so that you can be sent out. You were saved. You were brought in to be sent out so that others can be saved and brought into fellowship with you and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and us. That's part of your purpose in life. You have access. There are people around you specifically that I don't and that your neighbor doesn't. And so who is going to reach those people? He's called you. He's called you. And that shouldn't be like, oh, what a burden. View it this way. What a privilege. Me? Are you sure? Are you sure me? Yes. He's sure. He knows what he's doing. So right after this conversation, he sends out 72 disciples to do just that, to proclaim the kingdom of God. Look at verse 1 again. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. I, I mentioned it earlier. Where is he going? Jerusalem. What's he going to do there? Die. He's going to atone for our sins there on the cross. What's he doing? Verse 1, it says that he's sending them out intentionally. That's point one. How does he send us out intentionally? It says that after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. There were more than 72 that were following him at this point. He didn't take all the people that were following him. Oh, the 72, that's great. All y'all go. He literally selected and appointed some. And I think this is very interesting that he just sent out some and not everybody. Why? Because, I mean, in my strategy, I'm, I'm like, let's send everybody. Let's send everybody out. But Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He knew, every, he knew every heart of everyone that was around him, that was following him up to that point. He knew that along the way, people would drift away from him. He knew that as he got closer to Jerusalem, people would abandon him. He knew that they would, some would abhor him. They would hate him. There would be some that would say, crucify him. There'd be some who adored him who were unashamed of him, all the way to the cross and after. Some even carried their own cross and die. And he knew that there would be a little remnant of people that would, would remain apathetic towards him. 
Their theme song in life would be, Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. That's the culture in which we live. If Jesus is just all right with you, I mean, if you love so many things in life, and Jesus, yeah, he's one of those things. If he's not your greatest treasure in life, I, I'm literally going, you need to self-examine yourself. You need, to, you need to step back, call in from work sick, and ask yourself, is he Lord of my heart? Has he taken me captive by his grace and his love? With his blood that was shed on the cross? Is he my greatest treasure? Because if Jesus is just all right with you, I, I, I can't help you. You have to do that self-examination. He should be Lord of the greatest treasure because he has done it all. Who did Jesus appoint? 72, yes. But who specifically? Did he take the 72 evangelists? No, it doesn't say that. It said that he appointed 72. Who were the 72? I mean, what we know for sure is that there were people of sincere faith. He wasn't sending out unbelievers to do his bidding. What we know for sure is that these, these were those who had counted the cost. And they were willing to obey by going out and proclaiming the kingdom of God. What we know for sure is that these people treasured Christ enough to get uncomfortable for the sake of the eternal comfort of those who were not in Christ yet. What we know for sure is that they were willing to go out, even with fear and trembling, because Christ was indeed their Lord and Savior. What can we learn from this? Jesus sent them out intentionally. He sends us out intentionally. Look at me, friends. If you and I are not intentional to go out, we never will. We just won't, right? We just never will. Evangelism is, is one of the spiritual disciplines. It's something you have to discipline yourself in. Why? Because it's so uncomfortable, <laughs> quite frankly. Even for the evangelist, it is. We've got to be intentional to go out, or we never will. And he has saved us to send us out. Secondly, he sent, he sent them out proactively. So not just intentionally, but proactively sent them out. It says that he sent them on ahead of him two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So, so this is very crucial that we see this. He sent them ahead of him. He's on his way there. Remember, he's going to Jerusalem, but he's sending them out ahead. He's not actually trailblazing and they follow him. He's sending them out ahead of him. And I know I'm belaboring that, but I need you to see it because that's what he's doing with you. That is what he's doing with you. He is sending you and me out ahead of him. He's coming back. He's coming back. And he is sending us out because he's going to establish the new Jerusalem when he comes back. And so we are to, we are to be out. We're out right now. We're to be out and we're to be taking the gospel to other people because there is that time when it is coming. It is the day of Christ when that's over. And, and I swear, the trumpet will blast, and some people will be shocked. They'll be like, what is that? Even people in the church, they'll go, and they'll fear. And then there will be some believers who, I imagine, will go, the trumpet, I never talked to the neighbor. I never talked to my spouse. I never talked to my best friend. 
It's too late. So he sent us ahead of him. He's coming. We're to proclaim the kingdom before he comes and consummates the kingdom that he inaugurated when he first came. He sent them out thirdly, communally. This is very comforting. This is very, very comforting. It says in verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him two by two. Oh, praise God. It's not just the animals getting onto the ark two by two. It is that we go out two by two. Because we can put it on the calendar, and we can say, I need to be intentional, I need to evangelize, but man, it's so much more helpful when Rich Steele's next to me, or Jackson Davis, or Andrew Cummings, or Andrew Babb, and we're going out together, because I've got accountability in that, I've got some encouragement in that. I'm not alone in that. And see what the Lord is doing right here. He knows. I mean, God graciously gave Moses Aaron. The church today has become increasingly pragmatic. What I mean by that is, so many churches, that all of their strategy, their, their missiology to reach people is based off of human fallibility, the, the wisdom of man instead of what the Word of God says. And oftentimes the reason why we lean on pragmatism is not just because it seems to make more sense to us, but actually it's, it seems like that might be more comfortable for us. And that this seems to be more effective. And yet Jesus says, just do what I tell you to do. And trust God with the results. Jesus sent them out two by two. And I guarantee there's people that would push back and go, you know, I don't really like that strategy, Lord. And here, let me, listen, Jesus, let me, let me pull you aside and explain why I don't like that strategy, okay? It's because 72 people go out, you split them up in twos, what is that, 36? Did I do the math right? That's 36 homes you're gonna reach now? Let me help you out, Lord. Let's go out as individuals, 72 homes. There you go. You're welcome. But that, I mean, that is, I know it's silly, right? It's such a joke that I just said that. But that's, that is how we can think sometimes, is what, what's the most pragmatic strategy that's going to make the most sense, which is going to be the most effective? We're going to knock on 72 doors instead of 36. And yet Jesus says, 36. Go out in twos. And the more you dig into this, the more you go, he really does encapsulate the wisdom of God. Like everything he ever said or did. Wisdom from above. This design of going out in twos, this matches God's design. Genesis 2, 18. It's not good that man should be alone. It fulfills God's law. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 19. Listen to this carefully. Verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or wrongdoing in connection with an offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So Jesus is literally trying to fulfill God's law here because the, the reality is the message that he was sending them out with was a life and death message. It was a confrontational message, not an attack but a message that was confronting a sinner with the reality that they are a sinner and that if they don't turn to Christ and put their hope in him alone, they will perish and go to hell. So it's a confrontational message. It is, it is a people bearing witness that they are at war with God. They are at enmity with God. They're not at peace with God. The only way we're at peace with God is when we realize I'm at war with God and we turn to Christ to be received 
the peace of God through faith in his works, not ours. So two witnesses needed to bear witness that this person, whoever they were talking to, had either accepted the gospel and entered into the kingdom and become a soldier of God, or they were still on the other sides of the battle lines. They were still at war with God. They had rejected the message. This reflects God's wisdom going out in two. Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one. It's practiced by every one of God's apostles. And I'm just going to read a few of these passages. This is what we're to carry on, what the apostles did. Acts 13, verse 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart, said this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Acts 15, verse 27. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. Even when there was conflict between the apostles, and there is, there's some tension sometimes even between believers, listen to what it says. Acts 15, verse 39. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. I mean, you'd think the Apostle Paul, like, hey, your buddy, buddy, you're good. You, you can go alone. And Paul goes, no, I'm going to take Silas with me. Like, no one is above this design. This is very important. There are going to be times where you find yourself alone. And God is, like, just softball tossing a gospel opportunity for you to share. And you share. You don't wait for someone to show up. But we are to intentionally go out together. And we're to celebrate the opportunities when we're alone and God brings someone to us to preach the gospel. Revelation 11, verse 3, I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So in summary, the gospel that we take out, the, the great commission is a commission. It's a group project. And it's one where we, we celebrate the acceptance of Christ together, not alone. And it's one where we endure the hardships of persecution or rejection or mockery together, not alone. Praise God. Fourth, Jesus sent them out expectantly. This is where I struggled yesterday. I'm taking young Jackson and I'm going, all right, buddy, this is going to be hard. You're probably going to experience a lot of rejection today, right? Again, probably not meet a lot of people who are super open or warm. And the first person we talked to, I mean, that was God just smacking me in the face and saying, hey, I'm in charge of this. I know who you're going to talk to, and I know how they're going to respond. We're to go out expectantly. Verse 2, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Just pause. Do you believe that? Again, I was struggling to believe it yesterday. That's some unbelief in my own heart. Do you believe that the harvest is plentiful? Do you believe there's people out there right now, this morning, that are ready to hear the gospel from you? And they're ready to turn to Christ alone and be saved and forgiven? That they're ready even to be sent out in the name of Jesus? Sometimes we don't believe it, but here it is. The harvest is plentiful. It continues to be plentiful. The meaning of the harvest being plentiful is that there are people out there. I know you guys, y'all eat avocados. Everybody eats avocados. They're so good. 
And when you open up an avocado, you, you set it on the kitchen table, and you walk away, you do something briefly, you come back, you go, ooh, something's, something's going on, right? Some chemical reaction there. It's like orange and weird stuff. I'm not a scientist. So I don't know what that is, but I know that that doesn't look right. I also have opened up enough, enough avocados to know, you know, you can squeeze it first. The squeeze test is uh, it's a little too firm, not, probably not going to cut it open. But if you already plan to eat Tex-Mex that night, you just cut it open anyways and just hope that God performs a miracle and softens the avocado for you, you know, makes it ripe. And then there's the, the times where you open it up and you're like, I knew we waited a day late. And there it is, just black and corroded, and that's death. Yeah, that's, that's sin that you're looking at. It's the corruption of sin. And then there's that, those moments, they're so sweet, where I pray this over you today, that you go home and you open up the avocado and it's just right. It just slides out with the spoon, goes in your salad, on top of your nachos, whatever, and it's just fantastic. And I'm telling you that he's telling us that there are people that are like that. I mean, they're ready. They're just ready. And you can't wait on me to tell them or another pastor in town to tell him, the labors are few, and God's calling you, he's calling you. For that person, I pray he brings him or her to mind right now. That he supplies the boldness of the Holy Spirit. There are people that are ready. God told Paul, Acts 18, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? Verse 10, for I'm with you. That's encouraging. And no one will attack you to harm you. More encouraging. For I have many in this city who are my people. He does. You know who the lost sheep are? The lost sheep are those whom God foreordained that he chose before the foundation of the world to save and they're out there. And they may just be waiting on you and I to go out and engage them in conversation about Jesus. Hey, talk to me about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about the Bible? Can I share with you what I've read, what I've heard, what I've seen? Can I share with you my testimony? I mean, that, that's equipping right there, right? Let's continue on. Fifth. He sent them out prayerfully. Yeah, this is definitely going to be a two-part series. He sent them out prayerfully. Verse 2, again. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Isn't it interesting? He, he doesn't say what we tend to do which is this, he doesn't say, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to save those who are ripe and ready in the harvest. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So I can rah-rah and cheerlead you all day long and say, get out there. Let's go, team. But if God doesn't speak to your own soul and the Holy Spirit doesn't bring you in conviction where tonight you can't sleep, because of, not because of me, but because of God and his word, and you go, I've got, to, I've got to have that conversation. I mean, call me. We'll talk through it. But I've got to have that because the Lord is sending me out as a laborer into his harvest. It's his. You've got to answer that. You've got to, you've got to respond to that. 
Romans 10 says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So I think practical application for us is this. Number one, pray, Lord, raise up and send out more laborers into the harvest. Number two, Lord, give me the courage and strength to go into the harvest and labor for your name's sake in the gospel before the trumpet blows. Number six, and we're going to close with this one. Jesus sent them out cautiously. Verse three. He says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus gave his disciples very healthy expectations of the dangers that they would encounter as they went out. This is not like some bucket list item, right? You know what I really want to do before I die and go to heaven? Is I really want to, you know, I want to go out just once. I just want to do evangelism once. Arch talked about it. It seems pretty cool. Maybe I'll get like an adrenaline rush. And it seems to be a call to obedience too. So that, you know, that's good. I mean, this is war. You've heard of the rumors of war. You've heard of war that's taking place. There's a spiritual war going on every day of your life. Every day of your family's life, there's spiritual war going on. Listen to me. Every Tuesday night that I would preach to the young adults at Providence Church down the road in Frisco, every single night, the enemy wanted to divide me and my wife. He wanted to cause some controversy, some conflict, something that's so ridiculous to to create tension in our hearts. He wanted to split up our family. Every single night, he would do things to distract me that day that I was preaching. Every single morning, I get up at 4 or 5 a.m., I pray for you, I get on my knees, I pray for me, I pray for God's protection, because this is war. This is war. There is not a moment of your life where you are safe outside of the full armor of God's armor. Ephesians 6. So we, what do we need to do? Continually renew our minds. Continually trust in Him. Continually fight with the unbelief that's in our hearts. Continually confess. Continually repent. Continually believe. It is finished at that cross. And out of that freedom, out of that rest, we step out the door or we stay inside, mamas. And we sow seeds of the gospel wherever we go and we be a beacon of light, of holiness, In our lives and with our lips, wherever we go, this is war. This is war. So he says, be cautious. And he says, be cautious in two ways. Here's the first one. Be cautious of yourself. Be cautious of yourself. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs. Not lions. We're to be bold as lions, but we're to be gentle as lambs. We're to go out as lambs. What does that mean? It means that we need to know our role and God's rule. His sovereign rule. His role, to bring the growth. Our role, to sow the seeds and water the seeds that have been sown. His role, to save. Our role, sent out to sow. His role, to know who will be saved. Our role, to go. We're to know our role. I have dealt with the frustration 
of folks who, who like to manipulate the gospel and twist the gospel and make it palatable and easier for easy believism. And, and what they do is they go out not with the word of God, not with the confidence that the word of God will save, not even with the reality that some people will reject it, but they will try to do anything they can to massage a message to make it fit this person's life in front of them. And I'm telling you, you're doing the work of Satan when you do that. It is not for you and I to know, it's for us to go and we, we're to, how are we to experience and endure persecution because of our faith if we don't go out and present the true gospel? Friends, messengers of kings in the ancient world would be sent out with a message, a full-fledged message, and they would go out and they would herald that message in the city streets. And if they were to leave out portions of that message because they are preaching a message, they might be killed for it. If they're to leave out a little bit because they just want to make it a little more palatable, the king would kill that man. And we're serving the king of kings. This is so serious that you get this. We are not to be coercive. We are absolutely to persuade with the word of God. I don't back away from the word of God. Well, yeah, it says that in the Bible, but I don't believe that. I don't really care. I mean, it says it in the Bible, and this is God's word, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you more Bible. You know why? Because the Bible is the seed that's sown. You know, you know where, what passage R.C. Sproul got saved out of? Ecclesiastes. The word of God is powerful. It's living and active. We're just to be lambs. We're, we're to be male men, male women, going out and just sowing seeds and, and letting the seeds fall where they may. 2 Corinthians 4, this is so sober. Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Success in your evangelism and mine is not when someone accepts the gospel. It's when you have faithfully, biblically laid out the gospel before them in love, with gentleness and respect. So I want to just take a moment just to, to speak to, I've been speaking to the church all morning, right? Some of you are not in Christ yet. Some of you are not believers in Christ yet. I'm in mean, 23 years of my life. I was just playing the game. I just came to church every now and then. Thought I was a decent person, was not saved. So I want to speak to you for a second. If, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, here's the gospel. God is holy. It means he's set apart. He is good. And that's a good thing. It's also a terrifying thing because we're not we have broken God's laws. We've broken his moral law. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We were meant to reflect him and we failed at that. And, and so what did God do in response? Something that is just mind-blowing. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ. He came and in every area of failure in your life and mine, he paid for your sin at that cross. But here's significant. What he did before that he lived a perfect life where you failed and I failed. And if you can humble yourself enough, if you can just accept the fact that, yes, I have failed, yes, I have sinned against God, 
Yes, I am going to have to answer for those things. And if you would just see the humility of Christ, you couldn't reach him through your good works. He came to live and live out a perfect life where you failed. He succeeded. And then he paid for it on the cross. And his success and that payment, the proof that he really lived a perfect life and the payment is fulfilled, it's done, is number one, the payment's full, fully done because he said it's finished at the cross before he breathed his last. And then the resurrection from the dead is evidence that you can't hold a righteous person down. Death could not hold him. Why? Because he was perfect. He was perfect. If you will humble yourself, if you, were, if you will bow the knee of your heart and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and put your faith in him alone, you'll be saved. And that's not the promise of a preacher. That's the promise of God's word. I, just, I implore you to do that today. Come talk with me if you want. Talk to anyone else in here if you'd like, but go to him. Talk to him first. Friends, all right, now I'm talking to the church again, okay? Believers, you are not to be a lion in the way that you manipulate or coerce or force conversions. Just leave somebody with, hey, will you, will you, can, you can you continue to think about this? This is serious, obviously. And hope and pray that they will continue to think about it. Hey, I will, I'll, get, I'll get coffee or lunch with you anytime you want to talk about this more, okay? Here's my number. Come, come to church with me. Just come, come and listen to the word preached. Hey, let's read, let's read the Gospel of John together. But don't force conversions. They're not forced. They're, they're, they have to be born again. That's God-inducing work, not us. Secondly, we're, we're to be cautious of the opposition. We are lambs. Lambs are defenseless little animals. I mean, they're just, they're sweet and they're cute, but it's, I mean, you know, they, they wouldn't survive a UFC match, you know. They're, they're just cotton balls with like toothpick legs. Just, and so there is opposition, and Jesus says, you know, he says, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Well, Jesus, I don't really want to go out in the midst of wolves if I'm a lamb. That's exactly what he's called you to do. And there's so many facets to this, to, to going out amidst wolves. The first one is this. You are going to experience persecution from the world. You're going to experience mockery and rejection from the world. If you don't go out with the gospel, you won't. And it'll be really safe, nice, easy, cush life for you. But if you do go out in fear and trembling, you'll experience some rejection. We did this week. And we're alive. Here we are. John 15, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. This is Jesus. He said, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, the master, they will also persecute you. So we need to be cautious about that, right? Be wise, be winsome, but don't manipulate the scripture. Second thing is we're going out in a world that's full of wolves, meaning there are false prophets out there. There's false teachers out there. I hate the fact that so many cults are better at going out and witnessing for their false faith than Christians are. I mean, that, I, I, I will lose sleep over that at night. I had a friend tell me years ago, he's like, Arch, I think you're a closet missionary. I think you just need to go overseas and quit bothering us to share the gospel. And I said, no, I, I, you know, I'll pray about that. And if God calls me anywhere, I'll go and I'll take my family with me. But I believe that God has put me here to equip and encourage you to reach the people that are here. And let me tell you something. I have met wolves face to face. 
and live to tell the tale. I was at the coffee shop that my wife and I first went on our first date. I was at this coffee shop a couple years ago, well after that first date. And I am, I'm discipling this young man who had gone through some really traumatic stuff. And I am talking about longer conversation. I can tell you more later. But I'm leaning into the fact that we are saved by faith alone. We are justified by faith alone, not a result of works so that no one can boast. And he's going, huh, that's interesting. Because my, my sister's Catholic, and I thought that Catholicism and Christianity were the same thing. Different doctrines on salvation. There's a lot of, there's a lot of works-based salvation out there. It's not true. Right? And so we're just talking to him, and we're just pounding the pavement of the Word of God, going back and forth. I'm showing him that that's true in the Old Testament with Abraham. I'm showing him it's true in the New Testament. I'm going, here it is. And he's going, can't argue with that. I get up, get my backpack, walk out this door. And I noticed there was a man sitting to my left. But I didn't think anything of it. It's just a man. And here's the young man that's sitting in front of me. And as he's grabbing his backpack, he tells me this three days later. He's grabbing his backpack. He's turning to, to go out this door. This guy slides into Arch's seat and says, hang on. And he said it just like that because he didn't want me to hear as I walked out this door. He said, let's, let's just talk for a second. He said, son, I just don't want you to be discouraged. Some of the things that that man said were discouraging. He said, and he literally told him, he said, well, he's just reading the Bible. <laughs> he wasn't trying to discourage me. Arch loves me. And he goes, yeah, but here's the deal. God just wants you to be happy. He wants everything in your life to just be full of happiness and just for your fulfillment, you know? He, he wants to bring that girlfriend back into your life. He, he wants everything to be, to work out just as you planned and hoped because he has a wonderful plan for your life. He said, the thing about faith alone, uh, there's many ways to God. Whoa. And this young man who is more new to his faith, more immature in his faith, when we got together that Sunday, he sits down, he goes, Arch, one word to describe it. It was sinister. I said, buddy, that's because that was a wolf. I've met many more. They all howl at the moon. They all have the same false gospel. Different forms, different messages, but it's not. Turn to Christ and live. And I am preaching to you this morning. Turn to Christ and live. And if you turn to Christ and you are alive, go live for Him. He saves us and He sends us out. And don't let me be the cheerleader. Let Him, let His hands that are nailed to that cross and His feet that are nailed to the cross be enough for you to go out and live and die for Him. And between those things, suffer for Him. To rejoice with Him when you see people saved. To mourn when people reject Him. There are those who want to destroy us. There are those who want to deceive us. There are those who are devils. Ephesians 6, verse 11 and 12. I said it earlier. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm not going to lie to you. We've got our back against the wall a little bit, okay? The world, our own flesh, that's saying, don't, don't go out there. Self-preservation. That tempted Peter too. And the devil. And yet, you know who rules over every single one of those things? Jesus Christ, the Almighty One. 
You know who sent the Holy Spirit so that we could go out amidst those things that want to tempt us to say, roadblock, Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit. The Father and Son sent the Spirit. And you know what He did? The Father and Son sent the Spirit to live in us, to give us boldness with the Word of God, the Spirit working, and He gave us a brother or a sister right beside us. And we go out, and the gates of hell that want to keep those gates preserved and keep people in darkness and keep us out of that darkness, we kick it in with the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, help us to do just that. Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you would give us a zeal that, that we just didn't have or don't have. I pray, God, that you would keep us up at night thinking about this. I mean, I pray, Lord, that, you would, that nothing would be resolved until we go out and see a mighty God working. We want to know, we want to know you. We want to, we want to see you move. We don't want to just know facts about you. We, just don't, we don't want to just read a textbook about you. We want to know you. We want to see you move. We want to see you active at work. And so, God, we pray that you would just embolden us. Lord, I pray that, that our minds would be able to just retain the ways in which you sent out people so that we could more faithfully step out. Father, I thank you for sending out Jesus. I mean, the whole reason why we are sent out is because he was first sent out on a mission. And he said, I, I came to bear witness to the truth. And then he was crucified. And above his cross, the king of the Jews. And they were right. He is the king. Help us be faithful servants of the king in all areas of our life. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.